0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. My apologies in advance for the lateness of this episode. I'm actually recording Friday morning at 8.30. You know, I moved two weeks ago and it was a bad move. I had to move out of that place and find another place, which I couldn't find. And so I ended up yesterday at the last minute, moving back into my old apartment because the new one, it was uninhabitable to be quite honest with you. And I told you I would tell you the story after everything was resolved. Dope apartment, gorgeous loft, one of those like live work situations. So I found this perfect loft in my building. So all I had to do was move from one side of the building to the other, so I did that. And I'd gone to see the place twice. Like the first time I saw it, I was very enamored with it because it was just really like big and gorgeous and sunny and like cocaine white, this gigantic kitchen. Even though I don't cook, I was like, maybe I'll learn how to cook to take advantage of this kitchen. It was a near perfect apartment as far as I was concerned. The only issue that I could tell was a fly situation right outside my door. And it was like this swarm of flies, maybe like 20 or 30 of them. And they fly like in this circle i was like yeah this needs to be exterminated because to come in and out of this apartment i would have to walk through this like swarm of flies and so the woman was like the leasing office was like sure sure no problem we're gonna have the apartment fully exterminated so this won't be an issue so i was like okay great so the day i go to move into the apartment there is a maintenance person scrubbing the floor outside my apartment they're bleaching it down like you can smell the bleach there is no fly swarm so i was like great the issue has been addressed like that was my only issue with the place so everything is going to be great so the movers come i lead them down to the apartment fast forward like four or five hours later i'm sitting in my old apartment because all the electronics and stuff were in here because they're the last to move and the movers are keeping the doors either propped open or unlocked as they go back and forth from apartment to apartment. So I stayed with the electronics. So it's finally time for me to go down to the other place. There's a fly swarm outside the fucking door. I'm already like, what the fuck? So then I walk in the apartment and the movers, they put all of my stuff, like everything boxes, furniture, everything. They just made a gigantic pile in the middle of the floor. They haven't like put the stuff in different rooms, even though it's labeled like bathroom, closet, bedroom, kitchen, office. So I was frustrated with that. And then there's like this gigantic rumble above the ceiling. It sounds like a dump truck is dumping above my ceiling. And I was like, w t f one of my girlfriends was with me and she was like don't freak out because i think she saw it on my face like let's at least figure out what it is and if there's a solution or she was like you know maybe it'll just become like background noise like you know you'll be so used to hearing it you won't hear it anymore i'm trying to hope for the best because i just moved all of my stuff into this apartment right paid the movers changed my address change my renter's insurance, my internet, my mail, like all the stuff you go through, all the headaches you go through when you move from one place to another. So I'm like, I need this place to work. We start cleaning the kitchen, the refrigerator, all that stuff so I can put the food and the dishes away. The rumble happens again, like no less than 10 minutes later. After maybe like the fourth time, we figure out that my new place is directly beneath the entrance to the residence garage of my building so every time someone drives up the ramp to use their fob to open the garage door i can hear the car rolling above my ceiling stopping i can hear the garage door go up and then i can hear the garage door go down and it's like this rattling noise in the front of the loft it sounds like a dump truck in the back of the loft it sounds like a roller coaster ride Pulling back into the station. Either noise. You cannot fucking live with. Monday, Tuesday mornings. It's nonstop every. I don't know. Three or four minutes. Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. When people are going out. It's the same. And it goes from maybe like 8 o'clock. Until like 4 a.m. And if it's really bad, if there's a situation where like both garage doors are going up at the same time, literally shakes the whole apartment and it's a loft. So there's like exposed pipes. They rattle. Like it's so fucking bad. Last night, because I moved yesterday, is the first time I've slept more than four continuous hours in 13 days. I moved in like Friday at two o'clock. I ended up emailing the woman Saturday at 4 a.m. Oh, so I got up to go to the bathroom and there was, to me, what looked like a dead roach in the apartment. And I was like, oh, fuck no. Between the flies and the noise and now roaches, if I hadn't turned in my key, I would have got out my air mattress and come right back to my apartment at 4 a.m. and slept here. So I emailed the leasing office like this, like this long ass email of like all the things that are wrong with the apartment. I'm just telling you like the top, what, three? There's some other stuff that wasn't to my liking, but was livable. A, a fly swarm, a dump truck roller coaster above my ceiling and fucking roaches. No, no. So I sent her this long-ass email, and so she calls me the next morning, and she's like, hey, Demetria, this is so-and-so. And And I was like, good morning. Did you receive my email? She was like, oh, yes, we did receive your email, and I just wanted to let you know that we are looking for solutions. First, um, I just want to clarify that um, the, the bug that you saw, she was like, that wasn't a roach. That was a water bug. One, I didn't send you pictures. So how do you know if it's a roach or a water bug or Does this place have a fucking water bug infestation? So you're like, oh, no, honey, we're sure it's water bugs because we've got that complaint before. The fuck? So I just told her, I was like, I want out. She was like, well, you know, we can have the exterminator come in and we can have this and we can have that and we could do this. And I was like, yeah, you could do all that if you want. I'm not living here. And she was like, oh, okay, okay, so, okay. talk to like the head woman in charge. And she was like, all right. So she was like, you can move to another place in the building, which I actually like my building. I actually like my apartment. I just had space issues. So she was like, you know, you can find another unit in the building or we can move you back to your old apartment or you could break your lease. Like, cause you know, given your list of complaints here, we want you to be happy. So, you know, find what fills you. So I spent all of last week running around trying to find a new apartment. I need to stay in DTLA. Um, just for convenience sake and because it's my preferred part of the city, there's only three parts of the city you can live in that have like a, a sizable number of black folks where you won't be like the one and only. So DTLA works for me. So I run around all of last week seeing like four and five lost every day, looked in DTLA, went as far out as the arts district. And there's like something wrong with like every <laughs> building. I found this dope apartment that I absolutely loved in a building that is literally around the corner from where I live now. And again, like I'm seeing like four and five buildings a day, right? So I was like, oh, I can't remember exactly where this building is. So I Google it for the address, and a news story comes up. And a news story comes up about how, like last summer, somebody got shot and killed in the building in the elevator. And I was like, oh, fuck no. And I'm reading the reviews and all of them are bad, like one star. And it was like, I'm warning you, do not live here unless you want to die. Since the killing, there was also a shooting. A woman was attacked, attempted rape in the gym. There was something else. Like I was like, oh no. But I still went to see the building though. It was a gorgeous one bedroom, great view and cheap, which I was like, you better be. Cause that's the only way anybody is moving in here. Not me, though. I went to see a bunch of buildings. But there was just something weird about all of them. I saw this one building. I really like the building. It's an older building. But the lofts are like gigantic squares. And this one was like a one-bedroom loft. Essentially, they just put a wall up. But there was like this bathtub just like in the bedroom. Like it was just sitting there. And I was like, so why isn't it in the bathroom? And they were like, oh, because, you know, it didn't fit. And I was like, well, why didn't they just go with like a shower only option? Like, I don't like, why is this bathtub here? There was another building. I actually considered this one like heavily gorgeous views. It was like the 25th floor, but the bedroom didn't have a window. It was kind of like a railroad apartment. So the living room and the kitchen were, were by the balcony, floor to ceiling windows. But then I was like, I really like waking up to like sunlight on my face. I can't do the the bedroom with no window thing. That place was cute and cheap too. Because again, the bedroom didn't have a window. I saw this beautiful loft in the arts district, the walls curved. And I was like, why would you build a fucking apartment like this? Or then like the duplexes, like they insist on putting carpet on the stairs and then carpet in the bedrooms. I refuse to live with someone else's carpet. I just, I can't do it. So I just came back <laughs> to my old apartment because I was like, I actually love this place. It took me months to find this place when I was moving last July. So I came back 13 days later. So I'm I'm back. I've got my balcony. I had my morning coffee on my balcony this morning. And I was like, I guess this is it. At least until November because they moved me back and they put me under my old lease. So I've got till November to find a new spot. And I was like, you know what? I might just buy something this time so I can like trick it out and do what I want to do to it. I tried to hold out for Atlanta. I really did, but we'll see. I'm just happy to have like a full night's sleep. I slept from 10 o'clock last night until eight o'clock this morning. I finally feel for like the first time in two weeks like I'm not living through a daze. I'm so glad to be back home. Jesus Christ.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
0: Oh, I didn't expect that story to be so long. I'm sorry, because I want to tell you another story. Because people keep hitting me up and they're asking me about The Bachelor. There were rumors. I think TMZ posted something the other day. Black Matt and racist Rachel were out at some bar. And Matt had on these dark sunglasses like no one would recognize him. And I'm like, sir, you realize you were on a network TV show and millions of people invited you into their living rooms for like two months. And, and you're like a 6'4 black dude. How you thought people weren't going to recognize you? People still recognize me from Bravo. I ain't been on that show in what, six years? Still. Once you're black famous, you're black famous. It doesn't go away. And black people especially recognize other black people. Like, come on. So there were rumors that they had gotten back together. But Matt went ahead and gave a statement to People Magazine. And he was like, yeah, I'm pursuing a relationship with her. And I'm not dating other people. So, you know, just her. Let me find it. People says they've been spotted together in Los Angeles and New York. Coast hopping. Matt told People, I've seen Rachel a handful of times. I'm not pursuing any relationships right now outside of that. I said I was going to focus on my relationship with her, and that means focusing on it. People asked him, this is a good reporter. They asked, has Rachel been doing the work she promised in regard to educating herself about racism? He says, that's something you could talk to her about. A lot of what I'm focused on right now is work that I'm doing in the community and training for a marathon. So this is my story. Many, many years ago, I mean many, I was in college at the time. I had a friend, and this was like freshman, sophomore year. So I was like 17, 18. So I had a friend who I'd known for five or six years at that time. So since middle school, we were in college at the same time, had to be sophomore year because she was a year under me. There were three of us who had all these hopes and dreams about what we were going to be when we grew up, right? So we were going to all go to college and we were all going to move to New York and I was going to be a writer. I actually think she was going to be a writer too. And she's a far better writer than me. Like even her emails at the time, I even recognized it. But I've read them since then are like pure prose. Like the girl just got away with words. That's it. We we all graduated from high school. Um, She and another friend went to a college nearby. I went to University of Maryland. And when she got to college, she started wilding the fuck out. My version. She would say she was just living her life. I respect that. So I've never been into drugs of any kind, even smoking. Never done ecstasy. Uh, I smoke weed maybe five times in my entire life. I don't really enjoy the feeling. It makes me super paranoid and super self-judgmental. I just don't like it. So she was smoking and she wasn't hanging out with like what I would in any way define as like a wrong crowd. She just, you know, was enjoying her freedoms a lot. You know, you go to college and you meet people from different parts of the country and people get homesick and want a road trip. So she would like go to New York and stay for like two weeks. And I'd be like, yo, like you're just not going to go to class or she would smoke out and wouldn't go to class. And I was like, but the people you smoked with because I was dating one of them, I was like, he goes to class. <laughs> like, like what are, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I was really on her ass about like her choices, which I thought I had a right to say something because we were friends and because I knew her hopes and dreams and goals and I knew that what she was doing didn't align with what she said that she wanted to do, that I wasn't very accepting, that clearly her goals and values had changed and were very, very different than mine. Like I was all gung ho, like, you know, New York or bust, be a writer or bust, whatever it takes, balls to the walls. And she, you know, got to college and looked at all that was required for her to be this thing that she wanted to be and was like, yeah, I don't want to do the work. It pissed me off to no end. Our third friend just sort of stayed out of it. And I would complain to her and be like, oh my God, how is XYZ doing this? How is she not going to class? How is she this? How is she that? Blah, blah, blah. And so she was like, she doesn't want to. She's like, you want her to. She doesn't want to. Because if she wanted to, she would. I was like, but she's like, her GPA is going to drop and she's going to be kicked out of college and, and blah, blah, blah. And so she was like, yeah, those are things that matter to you. They don't matter to her. She was like, you're here all upset about what she's doing and the choices that she's making. You're, you're upset. You're worried. You're mad. Meanwhile, she's high in New York having the time of her life. That's when I let it go. And to credit, seven years later, I was present for her college graduation and her son was sitting next to me on her mother's lap. When she felt like doing it, she did it. When she felt like focusing, she did. No kinds of pushing or nagging or 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 positive encouragement, or negative encouragement, none of it made any fucking difference to her because she was doing what the fuck she wanted to do. And when she decided she wanted to do something else, she did that. I tell you this, because at least, I tell you this, because easily a good 50 people have tagged me in stories about, about Matt reuniting with this racist girl, have sent me DMs, have emailed me, have tagged me on Facebook. Do I agree with the decision? No. Like, the chick is so racist that she saw nothing wrong with dressing up as a slave owner and going to a party on a plantation. People be like, oh, it's just an antebellum party. It was just a party. It was just dress up. It's just fun. It's just costumes. You're dressing up as a slave owner and going to a party... On a plantation where human beings were kept in bondage. That's a level of racist that is hard for me to even fathom. And all it is to her was a party. Because that's just her level of racism. I will never forget on the Bachelor After Show. When she sat there talking to that fine black man, Emmanuel Aku. That big, beautiful black man in that tiny suit. Which, by the way, I asked him to come on the show. He was like, I would love to, but I can't discuss The Bachelors. I was like, next project. Come talk to me. I want to chat with you. Nice guy. He asked her, he said, you went on this show with this black man as Bachelor. You knew he was black. Were you worried the whole time that these pictures of you at this party were going to come out and blow up your whole spot. And she was like, no, never thought about it. Didn't see anything wrong with it. Like, literally until it was brought to her attention, it was just, you know, that's what everybody does. Never, never, never thought twice about it. That's the white chick that this black man has chosen to date. When he went on the when he went on that Bachelor After Show with the beautiful black man in the tight suit, he shaded the shit out of that girl. Emmanuel says to Matt, what do you say to people that say that, you know, Rachel made this mistake a long time ago, three years, three years is a long time all of a sudden. OK, Matt was like, you know what else was a long time ago? Plantations. He refused to look at the girl. He wouldn't hold her hand. He scooted away from her on the couch. Rachel was like, I'm in love with you and blah, blah, blah. He was like, I don't want to be responsible for your tears. At the end of the show, Emmanuel was like, well, can you hug it? I mean, I know everything's over, but can you hug it out? Matt sat there and looked at his hands. So we were like, oh, okay, oh, okay. The soul of Matt's brother with the golds and the braids has jumped into Matt. Okay. We thought Matt had found some good sense. Black folks was like, well, fucking finally. Because now you decided you wanted to be black. the whole time you were on the show, it was like, you know, I'm black and white. And then you got on the after show and was like, as a black man, a word. Okay, you're black now. Okay. Black folks dragged him for his switcheroo. I saw this comment. <laughs> This woman who said Matt got on the bachelor show sounded like Chairman Fred Hampton talking about I live for the people because I love the people. (laughs) But some black folks were not moved. They were like, this is an act. He picked over all them beautiful black women, especially the last one, the teacher. You skipped over a lot of really beautiful black women to pick a racist white chick. A lot of people were unmoved by his newfound blackness. And he was catching it from both sides. Because a lot of white people were like, what's the big deal with antebellum parties? So she went to a party. Okay. And, and he won't accept her. He broke up with her over that. He didn't really love her. She deserves better. He's a bad black guy with daddy issues. I was like, I agree with you on the daddy issues. I'm not going to say he's a bad guy. He saw the comments, I'm sure. I'm, I'm positive. And yet and still, he knew what a shit show it was going to be if he went back to this racist white chick. And he did it anyway. And not only did he do it, he went and talked to People Magazine about it. He don't give a fuck. Something about this white woman's walk makes him happy. And he's determined to access it and don't care who drags him for it. He's back with old girl and black folks are like, sir, you're making a fool of yourself. And white folks are saying to her, you're making a fool of yourself. Because this man broke up with you. He treated you bad at the reunion. And you're still giving him another try. You could do better. He going to get his nigga wake up call. Because the type of chick that attends antebellum parties and thinks nothing of it. So she'll call him a nigga in an argument one day. And he may or may not care. He may be on some fool like Tim Scott Biden did a presidential address the other day. I didn't watch it. No particular reason, I just didn't. But I saw Tim Scott gave the uh, Republican rebuttal. He's the black Republican senator, okay. But he made a point of being like, America is not a racist country. Which Kamala Harris actually also said. And I was like, wait, what? I'm I'm still processing that one. But Tim Scott made this huge point of being like, as a big black man from the South, was like, America is not a racist country. Is it not? Some people are just absolutely brainwashed. What we saw of Matt on The Bachelor, is kind of like that brief moment with LaKeith in Get Out when Blanket takes a picture and the flash goes off and LaKeith is trying to tell him to get out. On That was Matt on, on the after show. Who Matt really is, is the type of black dude who's not even trying to find like a woke white chick. Just white, white and racist, doesn't matter as long as she's white. I could complain about it. I could get mad about it. I could get all upset about it. But I would be sitting here mad, upset, and complaining. And meanwhile, he would be black balls deep and white wop. Like you're not just busting a nut. You're busting a nut and a white chick. He's the type of dude that the white takes it up a notch. I mean, his mama's white. There's always that to go back to. His mom is white. I hope she's not racist because she has two black sons. Rachel? I hope she's not racist because if she and Matt go the distance, she's going to be raising a black kid. That kid going to be fucked up. Matt is your dad and Rachel is your mom? Jesus Christ. That kid's going to need therapy in utero. He's a grown-ass man. He wants to date a racist white chick. This has no effect on my life whatsoever. I think it's dumb. But, you know, he's grown. He's entitled to make stupid decisions. Maybe he'll come around in time. I wouldn't put money on it. But, you know, that's that. In other news, I've been talking for weeks about how Bigger is back on BET+. It's one of my favorite shows on TV. Like, I love 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 these characters as soon as the show came out like i think i binged it in a day maybe two might have got that last episode on the second day but it's so 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 good and it's executive produced by will packer who is today's guest i met will packer at the essence festival before girls trip came out i think he was filming during essence festival and I didn't know. I'm sure the higher ups in Essence did, but I did not know. But we had a great interview. He is, he's just a dope dude. Like he's, um, I mean, he's MF Will Packer, um, which I totally mean as a compliment, but he's also just like a regular dude. He'd be the same person if he was selling insurance as opposed to like, you know, a man with over a billion in receipts from his films and 10 films that have opened at number one. Um, really great guy. Um, and, and just this dope and humble. I had to call him out in the interview on his level of humility. He was like, you know, Girl's Trip did well. You mean the film that did more than $100 million? That film? So I tried to be humble. And I was like, you ain't got to do that here. We want to celebrate you. So I asked him if he would come on the show. And he would talk about the business of Hollywood. I think sometimes people get caught up in the clout. They get caught up in the fame and the awards and, and the status. But the money, the money, the business of it all. Is very important as well. So I wanted to talk to Will Packer about that. I also want to talk to him about his teeth. Man, has the most beautiful teeth I've ever seen. I do not remember what we talked about when I interviewed him um, at, at Essence Music Fest. All I remember was there was this fly that was buzzing around, and we we're both trying to ignore it. And then like I went crazy and started like trying to swat the fly, and he was like, "So I guess we're gonna start the interview over." He's a very dry sense of humor, and I remember his teeth. His teeth are gorgeous, like he's like a walking Colgate commercial. I'm going to find out who his dentist is. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome one of my faves, Hollywood mogul, Will Packer, to Ratchet and Respectable. Bigger is one of my favorite shows. The second season just came out on BET Plus, and you executive produced that. You've got a couple roles in that. There's Will Packer Productions, and there's also Will Packer Media. And I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly the difference or how they all came together for this show. So what is the difference and what exactly
2: did you do here? That's the right question to ask, especially for folks that listen to this and are into business and, and, and into media companies and how media companies work. And, and I know that you know, you've know you got a lot of folks that are interested in that arena. Um, so I have Will Packer Productions, which was my company that um, I formed years ago primarily to house my feature film business. So all my movies, which is my entry point into Hollywood was making movies. And Will Packer Productions is my company that continues to make feature movies. And we have a uh, a relationship with Universal Pictures, um, although we've produced things for other studios as well. And then I went out and I wanted to expand into television and into digital media um, and into other uh, creative mediums. And I formed a new company called Wilpacker Media as a subsidiary of Wilpacker Productions. And I then acquired new investors into Wilpacker Media. So all of my television projects. Scripted, unscripted, digital, docs, all that stuff falls under the Will Packer media banner where I have a uh, a separate group of investors.
0: What does that mean for bigger? So that means it's just under
2: You like Packer. Oh, that's nice. Talk to me <laughs> You're like- you're like, that's, that's cool and all, Will. Let's uh, talk about this show. <laughs> I'm just trying to give you a little business background. Uh, D, that's all.
0: No, no, no. I, I greatly appreciate it. I just... <laughs> when I read about Bigger and it says executive produced
2: by Will Packer, yes. what exactly yes. does that mean? That's a good question. It's not dissimilar for um, a producer in the movie business. An executive producer on the television side is someone that either creates... Um, ideates, um, uh, macro manages the production of a television show. So for Bigger, I went to BET and pitched them this idea of a show about um, fun 30-somethings living in Atlanta, trying to basically discover uh, or, or chase the dream of living their best lives. A lot of people talk about that, right? Living your best life, but are you really? And I think there's a lot of folks in that, you know, 30-year-old um, generation, I'll call it, that are facing like that 30-year-old millennial angst, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, is this the life I'm supposed to be living? Is this, is this it, right? Am, am I doing everything I should be doing? Am I having fun? Is this enough? It's is bigger out there. It's better out there. It's bigger, better. So that was kind of the concept of the show. I pitched it to BET. They loved it. They wanted to put it on their BET Plus platform. I went and found a writer who's also an executive producer on the show. Her name is Felicia Mary, mm-hmm. and this is a sister out of Chicago who who was had li- lived a lot of the stories you see on the show either her or her friends, and she was the right voice at the right time to tell this story. So, as executive producer, I'm the one that went, pitched it, got the financing, brought in Felicia Mary and put the team together to create the show. Does that does yes. that make sense? Yes.
0: It's just because I think in Hollywood, like there's so many titles and they can mean so many different things.
2: 100%. You're that's sorry. why I asked. Yes. No, no. And and people are like, well, executive producer, producer, associate producer, like, you know, at the end of the day, um, whenever you see something that's, that's being made and you see the names at the end, it takes a village, like for real. So st- I'm telling you, it takes a true collaborative effort of a lot of people. So I do nothing by myself. I do nothing on an island. Um, I give a lot of credit to the team around me. But it is my job to put the right people in place to make sure sure that the show is good.
0: How do you decide what you're going to get behind and what you're going to leave on the table? Like, what's your formula, if you will?
2: The answer to that is is why I've been successful. Uh, because, you know, you're only as successful in this business as your projects are. You can have amazing ideas, you can be really talented. If your stuff is not working and connecting with audiences and going out and and um, performing well, then you got nothing to show for it and you're not a success in the way that this business defines success. For me, I always think about the audience. I start with the audience. Who am I making this for? What do they look like? What are they and I mean really specifically, like I think about like who they are, where they are, what they live where they live, what they breathe, where they shop, you know, the conversations they're having, the things they're interested in. I try to start very specifically with an audience for a project. And if I can't really clearly see a specific audience, cuz you know right now there's so much content out there. Some stuff is like made for everybody right? Some stuff is is what they used to call four quadrant, um, you know, content. When you think about the demographic you're going after, which basically means a broad general audience, you're going after everybody. And you make, and that's usually like big tip posts. I think like a Marvel movie or something like mm-hmm. that, right? That's for everybody. Well, in today's world of oversaturated content, where there's so much stuff out there for people to choose from, I don't buy into the all things for all people philosophy. I buy into find an audience. Find a specific audience. Make sure that that audience is going to embrace this content, whatever it is you're making. Make sure that audience is like, oh, this is for me. I'm here for this, right? And then if you do it well enough and you make something that feels uh, inclusive and can broaden out, then other people outside of that particular audience that you thought of when you were first making it will come on board and they will say, Oh, I like this too. So, you know, like Girls Trip is a perfect example of that. I very specifically made that for, you know, black women, black women who knew what Essence was, went to Essence, had done Girls Trips. Like that was the audience and the target demo I had in mind. But I think we did a pretty good job of executing it. And for it to be as successful as it was, clearly, it worked beyond just that specific demographic. I appreciate
0: your humility because you're just like you know to be successful. It grossed over 100 million, didn't it?
2: <laughs> it did, okay. It did. It did. You got to be humble here. Just just be be free. Be free. <laughs> okay. No, we killed it with Girls Trip, man. Look, if thank we being you. Being free, we fall down at the box office on that joint.
0: Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> How have audiences changed if they have over time? Cuz I think there's there's so many different mediums to get different um content and I also think audiences are a little more savvy about the process of TV making or filmmaking or they think they are.
2: They are. They are more knowledgeable about the process because these days, you know, everybody's got to camera on their phone and and editing software on their laptop or on their phone. And and so, you know, people can make um, user-generated content. You can go to, you know, TikTok and make a short film, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So people are more aware of the process, what it takes to create something. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's like it's the democratization of of content creation, putting it in more people's hands. I think that's good because you get more voices out there. What it means from an audience standpoint is that audiences are more discerning. They got more options. They're um, closer to what it takes to create. They're more comfortable with the creative process. It's not some big mystery of like how you shoot and edit and cut and add music to stuff. Like they understand how all that stuff works. They're doing it on their Instagram stories. So they are much more discerning. And so, for someone like me, it just means that the bar is raised. When I first started off, I shot my first film when I was a uh, junior at Florida AM University down at FAMU in Tallahassee. And it was all about just getting the movie made because it was so hard to make a movie. And the fact that we just had a movie to show was a really big deal. And we got that movie in blockbuster video, right? And, and your audience members that are above a certain age will know what that is. And anybody, you know, 20 or younger won't, right? But right. we got it in blockbuster. and That was a big deal at the time, just having a movie, having it made, and getting it out there. Well, now that's not a big deal, right? Everybody, you know, can have a movie and put it on YouTube. And, you know, if it's not good, no one will care. So it means that you've got more people making movies. It means I got to be even better. My stuff has got to be even better.
0: Do you know when you have a hit on your hands, like with Girls Trip or even with Bigger? Because like as soon as it came out, like my whole Facebook timeline was either spoiling it or trying not to spoil it to wait for people to catch up. Um, (laughs) Like, do you know, is there a feeling
2: that you have? You hope. I mean, here's the thing. You know that when you got something good, when you made something good, like I know I love that show. I'm really proud of that show. Um, But you don't know how it's going to necessarily be received because there are elements that you don't have total control over. So even though I'm very involved with the marketing, I'm very involved with the way that it's positioned in the marketplace, I don't have total control over that. I don't know what else is happening or or I don't have control over what's happening from a competitive landscape standpoint. So, you know, I am like everything else out there. I'm subject to what's going on in the world. What are people in the mood for? You know, where is the the public consciousness at that time? You know, is bigger the right show at the right time for what people want to want to see and hear and and consume or is it not? Is it is it too soon or too late? You know, I mean, there's some things, and that's that's the other thing that people don't, I think, give enough uh, credence to, is the fact that it takes a long time for these projects to get out there. So, when you're watching something, it's not like it got shot yesterday and you're watching it today. It probably got shot a year ago, most times, you know, or longer, sometimes. So, you know, if something feels hip and relevant and, and and cool right now, today, when you're watching it, somebody was ahead of the curve. Somebody was, you know, um, uh, thinking forward in terms of the way that they were writing or, or directing, shooting that show. With bigger man, I I just I knew that if we could get audiences to find it, and and folks, you know, gave it a shot. And if this, you know, if you listen to this right now, and you haven't checked out bigger. Um, check it out. Give it a give it a go. I think BET Plus has like a free trial going, right? I don't know. Yes, they should they seven do. days. Come look at that, seven days. On, That's how
0: I watched it the first time. Like I was broke. So I was like, well, I want to support. Look at you.
2: See, Demetria got it on bootleg. And- Look at her out here, not even signing <laughs> Look, anymore.
0: I subscribe now. <laughs> I subscribe now. I'm not broke anymore. First season.
2: First you. season. It's a season later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, log in, check it out, give it a give it a try. I you know what I like about Demetria. It's um it's it's a smart comedy that doesn't take itself too serious, right? It's still fun. It's still got silly elements to it. These still are a group of knuckleheads, but it's not, you know, I mean, listen, there's comedy out there for everybody, whatever you're into, it's out there. But where's the comedy for like, you know, the, that the black professional set, you know what I mean? And the type of stuff that we laugh at.
0: Exactly. Because I feel like they're all characters, like flawed as they are, that I would hang out with. Like if I went down to Atlanta, like these are the people I want to hang out with while like I'm there.
2: Right? Yeah. And, and let me tell you something. You do. You actually do. You want to hang with these, like the the actors, even that like this ensemble, this cast is so good. I'm really like proud of this cast. And I've, I've had my finger on, um, you know, some very successful movies and some very successful um, actors who have, you know, blown uh, out of projects that I was a part of. But this, you know, it's it's. You know, Angel Conwell, Tanisha Long, Chase Anthony, Tristan Winger, Rashida Crockett. Shout out to all of them. Warren Burke, my frat brother. Like, they do the thing. They do the damn thing. And by the way, season two, right, which is out there. We got some fun cameos. Tori Spelling is in it. Yeah, that shocked me. not seen it. I didn't yeah, see that one coming.
0: Right. I was like, wait, Go is that figure. Donna yeah. from
2: 90210? <laughs> 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 Literally. How about Play from Kid and Play, mm-hmm. Christopher Martin? You know, he's in there. Jasmine Guy. Uh, Deval. A lot of people know Deval from social media. Yeah. Um, and his wife. Eva Marcel. And his wife. Yes. Deval. What's Deval's wife's name? Uh, Kadeem. Kadeem. I love them. I love their the naturalness of their relationship. But, it, but yeah. So we got some fun cameos, you know, in there. But you said it's the crew you want to hang out with. That was kind of the goal. That's the thing that Felicia was going for was that you felt like you knew these people and you wanted to hang out with them and be around them.
0: you an the Atlanta question.
2: Throw it at me. Where are you
0: right now? I'm in L.A. Okay. I'm in Atlanta. And you've always been in Atlanta.
2: Well, I was, I'm from Florida originally, but since graduating college, I've been in Atlanta.
0: Professionally, like I read that you made a very conscious decision not to do the L.A., New York thing for, for someone who works in TV and film, and you decided to go to Atlanta. That's true. My friends and I have this conversation all the time because we we live in L.A. in these tiny overpriced apartments and we're working our our butts off to be in this industry and we always debate on whether we should move to Atlanta um, because I feel like we get casted here but we get flown to Atlanta to do all the shooting and all the big projects.
2: And can I tell you though, Atlanta actors will say, I'm mad because Demetri and him keep coming out and having these roles in projects that are shooting in our backyard, I got to move to LA to get in these projects. And neither is true, right? I mean, there's there's projects shooting in LA, and there are folks getting hired locally in Atlanta. But certainly, certainly, right now Atlanta is popping, especially on the film and television. There's like as we as we record this, it's, there's some ninety plus projects shooting in Atlanta right now. That's crazy. That's a insane number of shoots happening.
0: That's why I think I should move to Atlanta. Come
2: on. say like, come on. come on. There's room. Listen, Allegedly. We well, we full. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> That's I
0: said, allegedly, because I knew it was coming. Listen. Like, we full. Listen. Don't come.
2: Atlanta is full. You get on 285 right now, you just going to sit. You just can. You can put your car in park. I mean, you think LA traffic is bad. We are right behind y'all.
0: L.A. traffic uh, moves. Atlanta, like you said, you just park. I, I can't. Man, I can't.
2: It is. We don't have the infrastructure. We trying. But, you know, and I love Atlanta. Atlanta is great. But it's definitely. Listen, I, I mean, come on. We got we got. We'll make room. We make room for everybody else. We make room for you. Make room for me. Just one. Just come one.
0: On. Are you planning to keep production going in the midst of um, the voting rights debacle and the calls for boycotts and all of that?
2: Well, good question. I am. Why? I am. Because I know that um, there are other ways and more effective ways to um, create change. And I know that the governor of Georgia actually doesn't mind as much of an economic impact as film and television production has on Georgia. He would not mind pushing Hollywood out of the state, and Ooh. here's why. Follow me, right? This is a complex issue, and I will say I respect folks like Antoine Fuqua and others that say I cannot shoot there. I respect that. They, if you feel like that, and you, you know you 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 you're convicted, and say you know I just because of what's going on with the leadership, I get it, I understand. But what I know is that when I shoot a project in Atlanta, and I shoot a lot in Atlanta. I know the folks that I'm hiring, right? And, and, I, and I shoot around at Georgia, not just Atlanta, but Atlanta is primarily the hub. And many of the people that work on these film sets, they did not vote for the legislators, the state legislators that passed these laws. And so when you pull a project, you are pulling jobs from folks who are not truly represented by the people that put the archaic legislation forth. The other side of the coin is that you've got a governor who did not do enough, according to the last president and the fervent members of his base, didn't do enough to support his unfounded claims of election fraud, and it hurt him. It hurt this governor And now he's trying to prove to that base, I'm tough. I can kick Hollywood out of town. They don't share our values. Look, they're liberal. They're left-leaning. They don't share our values. We're George. We don't need them. Even though we're hiring folks, and I'm not talking about, like, actors and, and, and Will Packers. I'm talking about the people that drive trucks. I'm talking about the people that plug in lights. I'm talking about the people that uh, that do catering. I'm talking about all the jobs. And there are a lot of jobs that are created by a movie or a television show. Those folks are the ones that lose out. That's the money that comes into the state. You would think that you would embrace an industry like that because it helps your local people. But there's been a political calculation made by this administration that says, eh, you know what? If I can stand up and show that I stood behind legislation that then ran off some of these Hollywood liberal folks. I'm hoping that will help me in my next election. Elect, my next election with a base that feels like I didn't do enough to back 45. You follow me? Mm-hmm. So I so there's that and there's the fact that I know that you know, the people that I hired, I know they need those jobs. And I know that there are other ways. Like making your voice be heard. Now, this doesn't apply necessarily to every industry, right? So I'm not speaking to like Major League Baseball pulling out or other corporations saying they're not going to do business with Georgia. I'm specifically talking about an industry that hires Georgians. But what happens is at the end of the day, if you feel like this is archaic legislation, vote the people out who put it in. We just came off the chauvin trial. thank god that this country and the justice system did a little something there is a modicum of respect for accountability when it comes to black lives journey's not over a lot more still needs to be done but the reality is that if you don't have an attorney general who presses charges and presses the right charges that could get that could so that he could be found guilty. Right. It doesn't happen. That's an elected position. So there's power there. So, you know, maybe everybody listening to your podcast knows you got to vote. They know the power of voting. But I talk to a lot of people who still say, ah, what does it really matter? This is what I'm talking about. Like the Chauvin case is an example of that. This voting rights bill. That's an example of that Republican legislation. It's not just Georgia. They're trying to do the same thing in other Republican-controlled states as well. And this isn't really a Democrat-Republican issue. But the reality is that vote for people who support you and your interests. Or else you can't complain about it. So it's not just about, like, you know, Will Packer not shooting, you know, Girl Strip 2 in Atlanta. It's about do we as Georgians and the folks that live in Atlanta and all the folks that we're talking about, we're talking about Atlanta's full, right? Well, that's a lot of political power. Are we truly flexing the muscle and letting it be heard? Now, you saw it. You saw it in the last election. We did flex our muscles. You did. And, you know, there's no way Warnock and Ossoff would have been elected. And, and you know, if we didn't have folks that stood up and voted and let their voice be heard, we got to continue to do that.
0: A couple, I guess, months ago at this point. Dave Chappelle did a stand-up. He posted it on, I shouldn't say a stand-up, a commentary, and he talked about how early in his career, he signed a contract that wasn't good, and 20 years later with uh, The Chappelle Show, he was paying the penalty for it. Um, HBO and Netflix were airing his show, and he wasn't getting a dime off of it. And I wondered what your advice would be to young creatives, actors and writers and such in this business who are just trying to get on and they get these contracts. How do you avoid a Dave Chappelle situation? It's
2: tough. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, um, the industry does a better job now of ostensibly trying to create a fair environment for creatives. There's still a lot of folks that get taken advantage of because yeah. you know it's about it's about power and it's about you know leverage. And if you're just starting off, you Dave Chappelle just starting off, they don't care. They want to. It's a sign his contract. You want the deal or not? And there's a challenge there it's a balance first of all i tell everybody it's funny i was just having this conversation with a um a young brother who had an opportunity in front of him and he had a lawyer that was um looking over his paperwork and it looked like the deal wasn't going to get done and what i said was you want to make sure you got to prioritize everything the things that are very important right the things that you know could come back to bite you later that you may regret you want to push back on those because you've got to at the end of the day feel good about, you know, any deal that you sign. But don't get so caught up in the minutia because sometimes lawyers, depending on how good they are, they will just drag you out over the minutia and they could blow a deal, right? And that's not to say you sign a bad deal. Do not sign a bad deal. Period. Full stop. Especially if you know better. If you have somebody that's giving you good advice. However, there are elements that are more important than others. It's like anything in life. You do a cost-benefit analysis, you look at what's important to you, you don't compromise on the things that are important, and you compromise on the things that are less important if you have to. That's true in business across the board. So it's not a direct correlation to Dave's situation, but just for, you know, my young up-and-coming artists, producers, writers, directors, like you know, get great representation. You're only as strong as your representation. Try to get the best representation that you can. Try to go through and, and protect yourself as much as possible. But this is a business of risk. This is not a business for someone that's risk averse. Anybody you look at that's been successful in this industry has taken risk. Yeah, I tell people all the time, like, you can be, you know, you, you, you want to write. That's all you want to do. I want to be a writer. I want to write or I want to direct. I just want or I want to act. Like, that's fine. But align yourself with someone who is more business-minded, who enjoys the business aspects of it, right? Of, of the process. Align yourself with someone, with a team, with a partner, so you can have that balance. Because this is a business at the end of the day. It's not an industry that is run and ruled by creative folks. It is run and ruled by business folks. Yes, because there's
0: lots of money to be made. Can we talk about your latest uh, business venture? You've got a new deal with iHeartMedia where you're going to be
2: doing podcasts, scripted and unscripted. Yes, I'm excited about it. You know, it's interesting to because I, I am involved with film and television and, and sometimes I will have projects that are not perfect fits in either, right? Or that I'm not sure about or that I'm very excited about but that aren't ready, aren't developed enough to be made into a movie or a television show. And I thought it'd be really interesting because my podcast, my deal with iHeart is less about what we're doing right now. We'll do some of that. But it's more about narrative podcasts and narrative fiction. Um, now, some of the stuff, the first thing that I did was a project called Fight Night, which is a nonfiction. It's a true story of um, the biggest heist in the history of Georgia. It's a, it's, it's a true story of how um, some gangsters robbed a bunch of celebrities and athletes and um and and drug dealers uh after the muhammad ali fight what Um, how have i
0: never heard of this
2: stripped everybody naked (laughs) have you ever heard of um uptown saturday night yes the movie it's based on this in that movie with portier and um and cosby they um there's a scene where everybody gets robbed and gets stripped out of their boxers. That's based on this true event. And so the podcast is called Fight Night. Check it out. And that was our first one that we did with iHeart. But we've got um, a bunch of other stuff coming that I'm very excited about that are um, narrative fiction like stories that we're going to do, audio first stories that I'm excited about telling. It's just another medium. I, I never wanted to have a company, Demetria, that. Could only do one thing. Right. Because if I had a company that only made movies, I use the analogy of it being like if you and I, we start a, um, a hat company. Right. And somebody brings us an amazing idea for a shoe design and we try to stick it on our heads. And if it doesn't look right on our heads, we go, oh, that's bad. Right. Ah, it's not bad. It's just not a hat. So I didn't want to be the company that like only did feature movies because I would only see everything through that lens. I wanted to be a company that could find an amazing story or an amazing uh, IP uh, article, whatever it is, and tell that story the right way that fits that story. The iHeart situation and doing audio narratives just gives me another avenue to do that.
0: You know, you've had so much success. You've had like a, 10 number ones at the last count. Are we up to like more now?
1: No, it's okay. 10 is a
0: solid number. 10 is a solid yes. number. So 10 Thank number you. ones, we're over a billion in gross receipts. Is is your life in this industry, like, is it like every call you make, the call is always returned, everything is green lit, is it just like unfettered green lights
2: for you, or do you still have challenges? No. I definitely still have ch- Every call is returned. Like, I'm, I'm at the point, you know, this is a, yeah, you... You probably want to call me back because, you know, you just never know. I might be bringing you some heat. I got a pretty good track record. Right. So I get I get my calls returned. But it's not just a track record that gets things greenlit. My track record of getting projects made and getting them greenlit is very good. But it's more about all the elements. The fact that it goes back to that business minded question that you asked. And the fact that I approach a financier and I say, this is a really good idea. Right, This is a really good idea for a project that that we should make, that you should finance, that we should do together. But because I know I can make the project for X, and it has the potential to make Y, and Y is bigger than X, that's a smart business proposition, and it's a good idea. And, by the way, I've got a pretty good track record of of being successful. So all of that is why the project gets greenlit. It's not just because I say do it, because if the business doesn't line up, it's not going to happen. And so I always keep that in mind. I love that. Is there anything else that I haven't
0: asked you that you want me to try to get to share with my audience? You
2: have some good questions. You have some good stuff. This has been fun. This is good to reconnect with you. I mean, I love that you love Bigger. I love that you're a fan. I want people to tune in. Check it out. Season two is streaming now. If, if you haven't seen season one, go in, click the free subscription, BET Plus, give it a seven days, watch the first season of Bigger. And if you're in, then go sign up. Season two is waiting on you. That's what I was saying.
0: So, what's next for you? Not that you don't have enough going on. Is there anything else we should be on the lookout for?
2: Always, always got a bunch of things going, Dimitri. I do, and and uh, right now I've got unscripted shows airing uh, on own on Friday night. Yes. I got a show called Ready to Love, dating yes. show. Um, I've got another show called Put a Ring on It. That's um that's airing on Friday nights. That's coming back in a couple of weeks. I'm actually shooting in South Africa. Uh, a new movie with Idris Elba. Oh, I'm excited about that. Yep, it's um, it's called Beast, and it's it's him, uh, trying to protect his family from a a, a man-eating lion, um, in the jungles of Africa. That's going to be really interesting. Uh, I've also got um a movie called Praise This that I'm doing really soon. That um, you know, I'm I'm in the process of casting. Got some exciting casting news I'll be able to talk about soon, and that is a um. It's like a, uh, a, a hip-hop gospel choir competition film. Okay. Um, so I'm excited about that. We got, we got things happening. You we be got, working, well. You be working. I can't stop. I can't help it. Yep. I'm loving it, too. I'm loving, I'm loving the process. Thank you for having me, lady. I Thank you. It. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll do it again.
0: As soon as he hung up the phone, I was like, fuck. I ain't asked him for his dentist. Go look up a picture of Will Packer smiling. You got to see these teeth. I know I'm obsessed with teeth in general, but still. But no, he was so dope. I told you he's like a regular dude. Just regular, just regular, humble, just does the work. I was like, are they still making that model? Just give me the factory coordinates. Just give me the factory coordinates. The longitude, the latitude. I will take it from there. So that is this week's episode of Ratchet and Respectable. If you have not picked up your merchandise for Don't Waste Your Pretty, the T's are on the site, the V's are going on the site this week, and the sweatshirts and the mugs are currently 30% off. They're only on the site for a couple more days. So if you want them, please get them before I tuck them away for fall. You can purchase them on DemetriaLLucas.com. Otherwise, I think that's everything. If you need some ratchet and respectable between now and Tuesday, please follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. Otherwise, we'll talk again next week. I'm about to go finish unpacking my house. Literally put my life back in order. I gotta call a tasker to hang up my stuff. Neither here nor there. Talk soon. Okay, bye.
3: Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the golden glow body trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at oseamalibu.com. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide.